Welcome back to another episode of Dubs Talk presented by Wendy's. I'm Dalton Johnson. As you know, that's Monty Poole. And as you should all know by now, we will be doing breakfast better and waking up to oven-baked bacon and savory sausage and a breakfast baconator. Start looking forward to tomorrow morning at participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours only. All right, Monty, we've kind of gone through our gauntlets of summer interviews. Now that we're about a month away from training camp, we still have one left for the fans for my, my triage of interviews at the Las Vegas Summer League. The last but not least is first-round draft pick Patrick Baldwin Jr., who when I say is a coach's son, this is a polished basketball player, a polished speaker, someone who I think is going to come across really bright and smart, who clearly did that to the Warriors, kind of crushed that. It was more of an interview process than a workout with, with his ankle and everything. And so it's clear that they really believe in both the player up top mentally and where he can get back to physically. So let's see what Patrick had to say about that. I'm here with Patrick Baldwin Jr., the Warriors' first-round draft pick this year. And when I say that, still, has that kind of sunk in yet? Like, how wild is that to call yourself, you know, a first-round draft pick? What was that exact feeling like when you got the call? Yeah, I mean, it's so wild to this day uh, to be on the team that you just watched win the championship about three weeks before the draft. So, um, I mean, it's still setting in. I still want to take the floor for the first time, but, I mean, I'm just happy to be here. But, um, I mean, that draft night was special. I was with my parents and some of my coaches, some of my teammates. Uh, we were just watching the draft together, and, uh, when my name was called, it was a special moment for me and my family, and I'm just so happy to be here. Yeah, and obviously you have a deep basketball you know, roots with your father being a coach. Obviously he was a player as well. But then I looked back on your Instagram, and the first picture you had was actually with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. So you, I'm sure you've had a lot of basketball influences in your life. Mm-hmm. What's that been like, and who are some of those influences that have really kind of made you the player and person that you are today? Yeah, I mean, social media is a great way to represent you know, who I am and you know moments that I value and getting to shake Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's hand is a special moment in anybody's <laughs> life. So um, I made sure to, you know, take that in and, you know, take what he said in. But, um, I mean, really my basketball knowledge spans from, you know, coaches my dad has been with and, uh, I mean, different players that he's coached and different players that, you know, he's connections with. So, I mean, I give a lot of my basketball knowledge to my dad uh, and just the doors he's opened for me and allowed me to talk to some of these great players. Yeah, and, and as far as those players too, is there one that kind of, you as a kid, kind of, a, you want to kind of emulate his game or, mm-hmm. or maybe a c- combination of certain players. You go, hey, if I can have this guy's defense, this guy's shooting, who might yeah. have that been for you? Yeah, so those are definitely long film sessions that I had as a kid <laughs> with my father. So, I mean, those guys that I really grew up watching were like Carmelo and Kobe. Um, but, I mean, as you know, the game has changed a lot since they've been in the league. So, um, I mean, Carmelo's still playing, but um, the league has changed since then. So, I, li- I like to watch KD. I like to watch Middleton. I like to watch Tatum. Um, you know, I'm watching Otto Porter, Michael Porter, you know, just guys that I think roles that I can fill in someday. Um, it's just important to be multifaceted and learn from everybody. And with that role, where do you want to see yourself, I guess, grow the most in the off season? you know, with your game that kind of fits the Warriors as well? Yeah, I just, I think it's just getting up to NBA speed, really. Um, I mean, I think baseline, I have a lot of skills that I need to tap into, but uh, once I figure out the speed of the game, the pace of the game, uh, defensive concepts, offensive concepts, I think that's when I'm going to start to take off. So the quicker I can, you know, study in the film room and learn from some of the great players I'm going to be playing with, I think the better I'll be off in the future. Obviously, joining a team with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, mm-hmm. you think of shooters now like Jordan Poole, too. He's kind of that new splash brother. We get you in a, in a shooting competition with those guys, though. How's that going to turn out? 
Yeah, I haven't seen any of them shoot. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty confident, but just given the history of Curry, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm not gonna say I'm gonna give it to Curry yet, <laughs> but I'm gonna definitely give him a running chance for it. But um, I mean, yeah, just great shooters, great guys to learn from, great things to pick up from them. Um, I mean, you talk about Clay, Curry, Poole, um, all guys that's done at a high level. So. Anytime I can go against them, compete against them, I'm going to try to win for sure. And, I mean, you haven't had to have your NBA moment quite yet, but 2K-wise, I mean, you're almost on, like, a 2K roster when you think of yeah. those guys, right? I mean, has that sunk in at all? It's almost like I'm joining the champions. I'm joining someone where, you know, my, my friends might say, hey, you're cheating. You, you have Steph and Clay on the, yeah. on the same court right now, uh -huh. right? Like, isn't that – that's got to be a little wild, I'm sure, for you. It's super wild. So, actually, when you're walking out, in like your first summer league game, it feels like a 2K cut scene almost. Yeah. You're walking out, you see Evan Mobley passing by, you see LeBron, you see, you know, all those guys. And I mean, you're starstruck for a second, but you got to realize like, this is what I do now. Um, and so I think that moment has kind of set in already. I've realized this is what I do now and this is, you know, my profession, but um, I'm sure I'm going to have my welcome to the NBA moment like other players. But I mean, I mean, I'm excited to play with myself on 2K. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Who are you looking forward to the most playing against, and you know, wh whether it be a KD or somebody else for you? Yeah, I mean, just growing up and watching him, I think it's KD for sure. Yeah. Um, I think sharing the court with him is gonna be special for me personally. Um, but I mean, anytime you get a chance to go up against any of those perennial stars or guys that have been doing it for a while, it's a it's a surreal moment for you. So, I mean, every single night I'm excited to play basketball, and I'm I wake up outside of my bed and. I'm just happy to play. What have you learned through the, the draft process, but also that college process, mm -hmm. about yourself, not just the player, but kind of yourself? Because there was some adversity there, obviously, yeah. and it turned out great. You're, you're on the Warriors now, first-round mm -hmm. draft pick. But what did it maybe all of that teach you about yourself as well? Yeah, I think I just handled adversity extremely well. Um, you know, you've seen a, a couple of guys that were in my position that, you know, maybe could have been in that position that could have gone down a deep, dark rabbit hole. Um, but I think I had great people in my corner, uh, great coaches to talk to. I mean, my pops was a coach for me last year, so I had him in my corner all year, and I mean, I think I've just done a great job of rebounding from that season. Do you have any uh, off-the-court, you know, hobbies that might help with that, whether there's some guys I know, Clay's got his boat, yeah. uh, James, you know, he, he likes to write down music, different things like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe what, what's the off-court hobby that we don't know about you quite yet? Yeah, I mean, really, it's basketball. Okay. I mean, it's, it's basketball, but... Um, so as long as I'm playing basketball, watching basketball, I'm happy. But there's, uh, I mean, I like to ride bikes and I like to, you know, fit around with tech and do some stuff with computers. So, I mean, there's definitely a mixed bag of tricks of what I like to do. But if it's basketball and I'm watching film, like that's, that's where I'm at my happiest. Gym rat, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. so coach's son for yep, sure. Yep, yep, exactly. But, and then with the Warriors so far, with these practices and everything, what have they maybe not taught you, but try to expand your game in certain areas too that you're kind of feeding off of from your previous skills from college and so forth? Yeah, so they're just definitely trying to tap back into that movement shooting that I just wasn't required to do at Milwaukee. Um, so, I mean, you talk about 0.5 decision-making, getting off the ball quick, uh, making a quick decision, whether that's Curry or whether that's me, you got to make quick decisions. Um, you know, just knowing who to locate, how to set good screens. So just being a complete offensive team player. And that's something that I've already learned and picked up pretty quickly here that we love to share the ball here. Yeah, and have you talked with any of the, the veterans as far as, you know, how that might go as well and some of their their, mm -hmm. their tips and, you know, tricks of the trade as well? Yeah, so I've talked mostly with the coaching staff. And, uh, I mean, Draymond's been in the practices. Or he was in practice today. Um, so he definitely, 
had some words to say and you know definitely picked up on some stuff but I mean the coaching staff has done a great job of bringing along the young guys around and I mean we're picking up on a ton of stuff right now. What's that first Draymond experience like? I mean I haven't actually shaken his hand yet <laughs> so when I see him again I gotta shake his hand there and introduce go. myself to him. <laughs> yeah. But um, no he had some great things to say like he's when you walk in the gym you know it's Draymond um, that's first and foremost so I mean he's had some great pointers to talk about and you know he talks to all the guys and I mean, he's just a talker. Like, he just loves basketball. That's what he does. Yeah, and being, you know, a, 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 you know, a coach's son, a gym rat, like you said, what, mm -hmm. I mean, what might be that first memory that you have of basketball, whether it's playing or, or watching? Yeah, so my first memory of basketball is definitely, I think I was four years old, so my dad was coaching at Loyola Chicago at the time. Um, and there was this old gym that I think is knocked down now, but it was my first, like, workout, I guess, with my father. <laughs> so I go to the gym. I'm doing ball handling drills. I'm doing my shooting drills. Um, and then he has the VHS tape, I guess. He's recording me. Um, so, like, my first workout was probably my favorite basketball memory that I remember. And then my first bucket conjointly happened about two weeks after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's against awesome. the Celtics, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. It's yeah. not bad. Yeah. And, I mean, for me, and I've talked to a few other guys, too, it feels like we got a good basketball movie now back with Hustle being on Netflix. Mm -hmm. For you, what, what's, what's your favorite basketball movie? I mean, Hustle's definitely making a run for his money. I actually just saw the premiere, and it, I love that movie. But um, for me, it's got to be Space Jam. That's like a classic. Yeah, there you um, go. I mean, I watched that when I was a kid, and I probably still watch it every once in a while. So it's Space Jam for sure. Okay, good. And I think the last one I want to ask is just, what are you looking forward to the most in the Bay Area? You're talking about, you know, some of the off-court hobbies, riding bikes, tapping into some, to, to some tech stuff. Obviously, both of those work really well in San Francisco, the Bay Area. What are you most excited for to be in the Bay Area? The weather. Yeah. <laughs> it's the weather. I'm from Chicago and Milwaukee where, it, you know, it gets cold during the winters. And, um, I mean, it, the sun only comes out about three months out of the year. So when it's in San Francisco and it's, you know, mid-60s or high-70s or, you know, it's just great hoodie weather. So it's a good deal. Well, watch out for the fog. That, 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 that's, yeah. my, that's my only oh, advice the right there is watch out for the fog the for fog sure. It, it'll go away, but it's always, it's always lurking in San Francisco mm -hmm. for sure. Well, I know the fans can't wait to get to know you more. I appreciate the time, and thanks, man. Great getting to know you a little yes, bit there. Thank you. Thank you. Monty, the more I've been thinking about it lately, when we look at that number 28 pick, we know that the Warriors have had some success there with Kevon Looney, with Jordan Poole, but I've really been thinking about kind of Patrick Baldwin and Jordan Poole because these are, to me, when we, when we look back at how Jordan Poole was looked at in the draft and kind of – the fact that Patrick Baldwin Jr. was a maybe a little bit of a surprise pick for the Warriors there just because we thought, you know, they might go with someone who had more experience, who was more of a win-now type of player. That kind of high-risk, high-reward player, both coaches' sons, do you see any similarities there as far as going into the draft with Jordan now compared to Patrick Baldwin Jr.? Well, the similarity, the first similarity that comes to mind is the fact that there are people who doubted both Mike, uh, Jordan Poole, and also uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, Jordan, I, I distinctly recall an, an expert saying that Jordan was probably the worst pick up to that point in the draft being 28th. And with Baldwin, I mean, the pre-draft reports on him were pretty bad. Um, you know, he had a rough year at uh, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee under his dad. Uh, and he went to the combine and didn't do well. I mean, he was slow, he didn't jump well. I mean, his metrics at the combine were some of the worst they had seen. So for someone who was a five-star 
collegian coming out of college, I'm mean, out of high school, <clears throat> there were you would be you would think that he would show something at some point. And obviously, you know, the ankle issue was was still an issue. But if you're the Warriors, you're thinking upside. You know, there's a reason why he was a five-star guy coming out of high school. There's a reason why he could have gone to pretty much any college he wanted to. We think that what he has are things that can't be taught. And there was some competition, there was some comparison rather to what the Nuggets did with Michael Porter Jr. a couple of years ago when they drafted him. And people were like, well, he's really talented, but he's really this, but. And he had the back issue and he's missed a lot of games. You know, he pretty much missed the entire season last year. So the Warriors are rolling the dice here and thinking that if it works out, we got a star. Doesn't work out. He was the 28th overall pick. What else should we have done? So I get the move. I get the thinking that behind that. Um, but yeah, I, I've heard enough good and bad. I want to see him play. I want to see him play. I'm not going to render judgment because of based on what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've read. I want to see him play and go from there. And hopefully at some point in this season, we will see him play. Yeah, he was basically considered like a future pro going into high school. Like this is someone who has been highly touted from a very, very young age. I mean, basically groomed since he was a kid. We heard that his favorite basketball memory is when he's four years old, because that is like his first basketball memory. This is someone who I almost had to kind of pry out, you know, what are your other interests? And he's almost like, if I'm in a film room, I'm happy. If I'm playing basketball, if I'm watching basketball. But as you said, we just need to be able to see him play games. And that, that's if he doesn't have the experience right now, right? But then I think about kind of, what the Warriors have learned in the past, especially the past two years, going from kind of that James Wiseman exper uh, experiment, his rookie year, to the lessons they were able to learn with him, use that with Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, and how they can kind of use that all now with a prospect like Patrick Baldwin Jr., who is kind of very advanced up top, but he's behind the curve because of the, the injury and someone who's probably going to see you know, way less time than even Kaminga Moody played last season. Yeah, it's hard to imagine him being in the rotation as a rookie. Um, with When you look at Kaminga and, and Moody, who were in and out of the rotation, mostly out last season, they will be in the rotation this season, you know, and that's the way, that's just the way it is. Um, the Warriors will run 11, 10, 11 deep before they even get to the rookies. So um, Baldwin will have to really show something to get in the rotation and I don't see it happening. I suspect that he will play most of the season in, in Santa Cruz because they want these guys to play. And he needs to play, obviously, after uh, such a short college career. Um, and, and now he's in the pay to play. They need to see what he can do and want to see him play regularly. And so I would think at the beginning, beginning of the season that he will, once the G League season starts, he will spend, I'm going to guess, the most, the majority of his time with the C-dubs um, and that way he can play 25, 30 minutes a night, get his rhythm, get his legs underneath him, get back to the player that they thought he was in high school. And we haven't seen that in a couple of years. So uh, I do think that they will do that. And not much different from Ryan Rollins. I think R Rollins may be a little bit ahead of Baldwin because he did play a full season, two full seasons actually in Akron. So I think with, I mean, Toledo and with, 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 um, with Rollins, um, you know, obviously they both missed summer league because of injuries, but you look at Rollins and you, you, you know, he's probably further along simply because 
he's got those two years of college. So with, with Patrick, just want to see him play regularly and see what he has. You know, he has some notions to dispel <laughs> and to be a great player, to be a good player, because the pre-draft evaluations were like, uh, uh, not good, not good, not good. So, but if you're if you're the Warriors, you know there were so, so that could be said about Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Stephen Curry. So their thinking is like, you know what? It's not. It's been kind of cool to have guys come in with a chip on their shoulder, feeling they have to prove themselves as NBA players. So they're hoping that that script will apply to Patrick. We will see. Yeah, Dub Nation will have to kind of practice even more patience this year with their first round pick. It's worked out in the past before, as you've said, and especially when they they have that kind of doubt mentality and kind of chip on the shoulder. The Warriors, they, they pretty much invite that now. They want that badly. And whenever Patrick Baldwin Jr. does make his NBA debut, whenever that might be, the player that he's looking forward to sharing the court with the most on the other side of the court is Kevin Durant, the former Warrior who, once again, finds himself <laughs> back in the news. When we woke up this morning on, on Tuesday morning and we saw that the Nets put out, put out that tweet, which is still just funny to me because the way that it's worded as far as we're going to continue our partnership with Kevin Durant, someone who is under contract for four more years, what was your initial reaction to that? Are you just happy that it's at least we think all over with? And are you kind of surprised that there will be no trade? Or is this at the end of the day what you probably expected? Totally what I expected. Um, you know, it, it, first of all, as far as the Warriors go, there was never a scenario that anyone could present that said, okay, here's why the Warriors would do this. Everything spelled, no, they won't do this. No, they won't do this. They revamped their entire player development program to benefit who? Young players, because they knew they would have a bunch of lottery picks. And so if they trade all those young players, are they going to trade those coaches and development guys too? <laughs> you know, I mean, so it, it just, it, they turned the corner on, on that and already looking toward the future because there's a cost control issue also at, at stake here. And the young guys are pretty cheap, relatively speaking right now. And so they want to develop those guys, see how good they can be. And if they were to say, you know, let's unload, you know, our future for Kevin Durant, maybe, you know, two or three good years, um, it might be a short-term payoff but the rest of the roster is going to look pretty, pretty piecemeal. And the development coaching staff is going to be wondering, what can we do to help Kevin Durant? <laughs> what part of development does he need? You know? And so it just it didn't make any sense from a logical point of view and never started happening. Now, I will say that when you sign a contract for four years and your contract hasn't even, you know, hasn't even gone into effect yet, it's really difficult to demand a trade. <laughs> and Kevin is going to be there for a while. And I didn't, I didn't see how he could not be because if you're another team, you know the Nets want a ton for him. And the, as this thing dragged on, the thought that crossed my mind was that, okay, if you're another team, you're probably looking at Kevin Durant a little differently than you did two months ago. You know, the way this thing has worked out, you know, he signs a contract. And then months later, basically, says, I want out. Mm, you know, the, if you're a front office guy, 
for another team that wants to maybe look at KD, you're thinking, is this a role we want to go down? How do we know that won't happen with us? You know, and it becomes a real dicey situation. It always made sense to me. He wanted to play in Brooklyn with Kyrie. They wanted, they, well, I know Kevin, they authorized the hiring of Steve Nash as coach. So in essence, Katie and Kyrie got what they wanted before last season, two years ago. They got what they wanted. And, and so for, for either one of them to say, well, this isn't working so well. And I, I just didn't see it happening. So I'm happy for the league that, that it's resolved. Because I think with Kevin and Kyrie, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, I mean, I think they've got a really good team. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing them as they are. I want to see Kevin happy because he's at his best when he's happy. And I want to see Kyrie sort of settled. You know, he's been one of those guys that's in and out, back and forth. Just give us 75 games. You know, if I'm a Nets fan, give us 75 games because we know what you can do. But we know you can't do it if you're not in the, in the, in the arena, if you're not on the floor. So to them, good health. Let's see where it goes. Now, throughout this whole summer long rumor mill with Kevin Durant and with a little bit with Kyrie Irving too, but especially with Kevin Durant, there were some Western conference teams that were brought up. There were the Phoenix suns, the, the Memphis Grizzlies were connected for a little bit. The new Orleans Pelicans were quiet. I, I kind of wanted to be a little louder because I thought it'd be really fun, but then, you know, they're in, in the Eastern conference, the Boston Celtics were connected for a little bit there. The, uh, the 76 ers connected, the Miami heat were connected. Now he's back in Brooklyn. And you look at that roster, and I'm happy that you just brought that up because I know that, you know, there was the whole James Harden moment there too. But this actually on paper, and we know the Nets have kind of been these paper favorites, paper champions ever since KD and Kyrie got there. But on paper, this might be their deepest, most balanced team. We've still, again, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons all come with a little bit of question marks. There's no doubt about that. But that big three is a little bit of what you want in everything, isn't it? As far as offense, defense, and, you know, things to debate on first take. But offense, defense, they, they kind of have everything you want in a big three right now. Pretty much. I mean, I thought last year they missed Jared Allen, who was traded away. Uh, and, and Jared Allen's a really good interior defender. Um, not much of a shooter, but he can score because he's big and, and, and athletic. He can get some easy points. Um, they missed him. Joe Harris obviously missed most of the season last year. So and he's one of the league's better shooters. So you look around and you say, what do you need from Ben Simmons? Defense, which he's good at, and ball handling and passing. I mean, he can kind of play a, a Draymond type role almost, uh, where you don't have to get a bunch of points. Just make sure that the operation runs smoothly for Kevin and Kyrie, as Draymond does for Steph and Clay. Um, and so I, I want to see how that plays out. I want to see Ben happy and again, see him get back to what he can be. So, uh, but the, the other teams you mentioned, I mean, they all reached a point where they thought one or two things. One, to get Kevin Durant, we got to pretty much gut our roster. And two, if we were to trade one of our better players, our two best players, what are we doing? What, are, we, are we getting better? by moving off guys that we've had for a couple of years. So it, it's just, I could see why there was so much reluctance 
to go up to go after KD is not his fault because again he's a top five player. Um, but one guy, even as good as Kevin Durant is, he's not going to take you very far without teammates that can also ball. Um, look at the NBA. Look at NBA history. It's very rare that a team wins a championship with one guy playing with a bunch of non-stars. I mean, LeBron got a team, got the Cavaliers team almost 12 years ago, it was now, to, to, a, uh, to the finals. And you look at that team now and go, how'd they get there? That was yeah. magnificent work on LeBron's part, but they didn't win the finals. And it's just, to, to win a championship, you need to have two, at least two really good players, really good players, all-star caliber players, and sometimes three. So, uh, yeah, it, it, from the moment he wanted said he wanted out, I just wondered how that could be arranged and didn't see how it could happen. So um, I want to see them play and see what they can do. And I'm glad that now that is settled and we can move on with the rest of August, which is supposed to be the slow month. And the only thing, reason why it wasn't slow as it could be is because the daily KD drama. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> do you think that the Warriors ever – just look back a little bit now. I mean, we think about the, the three years later where three years to, to the date of Kevin Durant saying that, that he's signing with the Brooklyn Nets. He requests a trade. Now, now, now he's staying with the Brooklyn Nets. In, the, in those three years, the, the Brooklyn Nets have been out of the first round twice. They were, they were almost, they were about, you know, a step away from the conference finals, but they haven't made, made the NBA finals like we expected. Again, they've been this, this mishmash of different stars, what I kind of call paper favorites, hypothetical champions. And then the Warriors, they not only won the NBA title last year where they were not seen as the favorites by, by most experts, but number two, within that, still were able to add Jonathan Kaminga, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, Moses Moody, all these, all these different players, James Wiseman, you know, all these players that are kind of pushing their franchise forward along with still having Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. I just wonder what they almost think about today of all, of, of all days being like, man, it's just it's a little bit of a relief right now. I don't know. It, it's just a lot different feeling coming off that championship with pretty much the most drama free superstar in Steph Curry and looking at that, at that last three year window, everything that, that, that's happened to both franchises. Yeah, I, I think one of the most undervalued aspects of the, what the Warriors have done recently years, we talk about their culture, but the continuity within that culture, you know, that culture is defined by Steph, Clay, and Draymond. And to have those three guys there for the entire time, the, these last 11 years now, um, it tells you that you've got some consistency there and you've got three guys that everybody else could look toward. Kind of like the Spurs had when they had Duncan Ginobili and Tony Parker. You got three stars over there that know what they're doing, who won championships. If you can't fall in line with those three guys, you're probably in the wrong place. And Kevin's last year with the Warriors was the only time in that, in their really last 10 years when that really got tested, I thought. I really thought it got tested that year. And I, to the, even to this day now, I think that the whole Kevin Draymond thing in L.A. that blew up there, you know, Steph Curry was not with the team at that time. And I often wonder, had Steph been there, if that ha would not have been um, more smoothly sort of massaged 
and, and gotten over because uh, it, it, it lingered and it affected the team. It affected KD, uh, Draymond. They didn't play that well in the, in the weeks after that. It took them a while to kind of regain their bearings and get where they needed to go to the finals again. So, and again, that coincided with the return of number 30. <laughs> so um, it, it, I think Joe Lacob likes to say that he doesn't understand why Kevin left. Um, but I think there are people in the front in the organization that think maybe it was time for Kevin to go, and which is what Kevin thought. And looking back, I don't know what would have happened the, the next year had Kevin stayed. Um, would he have been happy? Because in 2018-19, he was not a happy dude. And he was when he got here. He was pretty happy. In, he was totally happy in year one, pretty happy in year two, and restless in year three. And I don't know what the fourth year would have been kind of a, let's see what we got here. And that's not how the Warriors like to operate within their culture. You know, they don't really like drama and surprises because they don't, they're not used to it. And that year they were, and it tested the players, it tested the coaching staff, it tested Bob Myers. And I think there was a sense of relief that, okay, I mean, not that KD's going, wasn't gonna come here anyway, but looking back, it's like, we got the best of KD. We won two championships, went to three finals. Let's be happy with it. Be satisfied with that and move on. Well, the Warriors didn't get to year four with Kevin Durant, but the Nets, they got four more years. We're going to see what happens. And we know in all four years, they will be coming for the Warriors atop that mountain. So we have a special guest that's going to talk a little bit more about that right now. Win a new Mercedes-Benz, cash, and more this month at Creighton Resort and Casino. Play to enter the Mercedes Winner's Choice Giveaway on August 26th, where you could win a new Mercedes-Benz. Plus, more ways to win than anywhere else. Tuesdays, turn points into slot play. Multiplier Wednesdays, get up to seven times the points. Thursdays, win up to $15,000 in the Beat the Heat slot tournaments. Learn more at CreightonResortCasino.com. Complete rules available at the Reward Center. We're here with Tom Deerberger of NBC Sports Bay Area, who does a little bit of everything for us at the website. And he has a recent article up that's looking at the teams that could be possibly the biggest threats to the Warriors as they look to defend their title, kind of ranking from number 10 to number one. But Tom, I want to start actually off with that kind of, you know, everyone wants the participation ribbon now, the play-in tournament. Who are these teams on the outside looking in that might be a little bit of surprise to some folks that you might be a little more down on, but you still maybe there they might be a league pass team though for you. Yeah, I think um, one team on that list is the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think you know they're not necessarily a championship contender at this moment, but they made the biggest move of the off season by trading for Rudy Gobert. Um, and I, I, you know, and, and the, the whole basketball world is kind of befuddled by that trade, right? Like while the, the rest of the NBA world goes small, the Timberwolves are, are going big and they forked over quite the, uh, the price tag to, to get that. So with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, you know, I think the, the, uh, rest of the NBA world is just waiting to see what that team can look like. And, you know, the small chance that, the Timberwolves big bet pays off like what what could that look like did do you feel like that was basically a move to kind of counteract who the Warriors are and what you know what they do very well on the court obviously kind of a 
when everyone zigs, we zag kind of move that the T-Wolves made? And how high do you think that they could finish maybe in the Western Conference, at least in the regular season? Yeah, in the regular season, I mean, you look at what other teams that Rudy Gobert has played for, and the Jazz, you know, have always been pretty high performers in the regular season. Um, it's it's in the playoff series where his shortcomings on offense have kind of been, you know, found out, exposed, if you will. Um, so in in terms of the regular season, I think the Wolves will win a lot of games. I have them, you know, probably a top six team. You know, I, I think they can avoid the playing tournament, maybe grab that, that fifth or sixth seed. Um, but as far as playoff success, I think they have uh, quite a bit to go. Exactly. As far as is it more of a regular season roster, regular season team, or do you see them as contenders yet, Monty, with that kind of Rudy Gobert trade? Well, to me, when, I, when the trade went down, my first thought was, okay, they got big. But what they also did was they got a defender in the paint, which they didn't have. Carl Anthony Towns is not that guy. He's not that guy. And so, and if you're going to have Cat out there and going to have D'Angelo Russell out there, you need someone behind you, those guys to protect the paint and the rim. And Gobert can do that. Now, I don't know what it means for the rest of the roster because now I don't know where D'Angelo fits in now because Anthony, we're just coming, <laughs> you know. And when I watched the Timberwolves last year, it just felt at times like D'Angelo was like the, almost an odd man out at times, you know, um, because Edwards is so explosive and so dynamic. He does so many things at both ends of the court. And D'Angelo is kind of a walk it up guy, um, it, it, it wasn't always a great fit. I know Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell are tight buddies, but I'm curious to see how it works out next season because I want to see if Gobert can be that guy that basically protects their defense because that's been an issue for that team. And I'm sure that's why they went out and got him because Cat's not that guy and he's not a rim protector. He can shoot away now, shoot those threes, baby, let him fly. So, but you're right, they're a league pass team to watch more out of curiosity than potential for me. I don't see them being a championship contender at all. But potential-wise, I mean, but but excitement-wise, that could be fun to watch. Well, Monty, between two teams, what team intrigues you, makes you more excited to watch between the Timberwolves and the New Orleans Pelicans? Pelicans. <laughs> it's close. But, I mean, because Zion's back now. And I want to see what he's going to be able to do. And he's back with a team that Brandon Ingram is a better player than he was two years ago. That team didn't have CJ McCollum two years ago. Herb Jones, I mean, they've got a much better team than they had a couple of years ago. They are a playoff caliber team. Yeah, they made the playoffs last season. So um, I say New Orleans simply because they have a couple of guys on that team that have, that have been in the playoffs, and namely CJ. He's been in the playoffs a few times and kind of knows what the rhythms are like and how to get there. Um, I think he'll be better with them this year than he was last year when he was inconsistent with them. But if you look at those two teams, I'm thinking, I want to watch both. But I think the Pelicans, because Zion is a mystery about Zion. I, I'm not sure he's a full, complete basketball player. I know people love him, and he's ex athletic, and he's explosive. But I want to see if he can stay healthy for 75 games, given his body mass and his, his explosion. That's a tough call. So I, I would say the Timberwolves, I want to watch. The Pelicans, I really want to watch. Yeah, it's like I, I haven't seen what 
Rudy Gilbert is going to do with this Timberwolves team, but I've seen him for a while in the NBA, right? Zion, he still has such that X factor kind of question mark. What's he going to do next kind of highlight in your face? And I just want to see how the big three of, of him, Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum work when they're all healthy. I really like Herb Jones. Um, you know, they're a fun, interesting, becoming more of a dynamic team for sure, but a, little, a lot more balanced than they were even a year or two ago. So those two teams are, are going to be a lot of fun to watch. No doubt about that. Tom, I want to also know, what are your thoughts right now on the Denver Nuggets? This is a team that has the back-to-back MVP, and they're another team where we've seen glimpses of them, but we haven't really seen them full because of the injuries to Michael Porter Jr., to Jamal Murray. Are they able to, to take the leap, or do you still have some question marks when it comes to them? I still have some question marks around the Nuggets. Um, I think they made a sneaky good move this offseason by bringing in Bruce Brown um, that that could pay dividends for them. That was that was one of the better underrated moves, I'd say, the offseason so far. I mean, you can't dispute Nikola Jokic and just the star power of him, you know, back to back MVPs um, and, you know, getting Jamal Murray back, as, as you alluded to next year, should, you know, push the Nuggets back towards the top of the standings. Uh, I'm just not quite convinced that that, you know, they'll be there, you know, to to compete with the Warriors in, in the Western Conference finals and and later on in, in the playoff bracket. I'm with Tom on that um, because uh, Jokic is a great offensive player, but defensively he can be had. And guess where defensive uh, inefficiencies and ineffectiveness show up the most? Postseason. <laughs> so I mean, I see them. Yeah, the Nuggets can win 50 games in a regular season. If Jamal stays healthy, if Michael Porter Jr. is, you know, making 40% of his threes, they can win 50 games. But I think there's still going to be one of those teams that runs into the postseason and hits a wall at some point. Somebody's going to beat them because Nikola is great. But defensively, there are ways to work around him. And Jamal Murray's not a great defender. And even Michael Porter Jr. is not a defender at all. So I, I think they have some holes there. But yeah, I, I kind, of, kind of agree with you there. They, they're going to be they're going to be a forty-five to fifty win team, I think. But postseason, I don't see them making a deep run. You need sixteen win teams, sixteen win players, and that's kind of what the Warriors learned about guys like Andrew Wiggins last year, right? Guys are going to be able to step up and be ready for that kind of bright lights. And that's where I think with a lot of these teams in the West. There are some of those questions. There's a lot of intriguing teams. There were some fun moves in the offseason by the teams in the West. And, Tom, going from four down to one, who are your biggest threats in the West right now with, against the Warriors? Who, who are the Warriors' biggest threats to kind of defend that title in the Western Conference, which we always know is an absolute battle? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Warriors' biggest threat in the West this season is going to be the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, I think that, you know, we, I mean, we haven't seen Kawhi Leonard since uh, the 2021 playoffs. Um, we barely saw Paul George last season. He was um, dealing with an elbow injury last year. And then the Clippers signed John Wall, who I feel like we haven't played, we haven't seen play like meaningful basketball since like 2016. So, you know, those three stars, you know, you, you pair them together and they're surrounded. You know, you look at the um, role players that, that are in Los Angeles around them. Um, you got uh, Robert Covington, you know, Nicholas Batum, 
they, they've got a they've got a good core around Kawhi, and I think they're much more prepared to make a deep playoff run and and to uh, challenge the Warriors for for a championship as everyone gets healthy again. Let me ask you to you guys something. Okay, you got a bunch of guys coming in that either missed all or much of last season. You know, Dame Lillard, Zion, Kawhi, John Wall. Um, there are a couple more that I'm. There's um, Mike. I mean Jamal Murray. You know, these are which one or two of these guys makes the biggest impact on his team next season versus what it was last season. I think it has to start with Kawhi, right? Because I mean, that's kind of the name that you that you think about. That that kind of is the biggest star of everybody. Well, we saw that we we saw what he could do to a franchise with the Toronto Raptors, right? And kind of it just bring them to a different level. And I think the Clippers, the moment that he went there, that that was the hope and that was the hype with him and Paul George together. So there's so many guys that I'm intrigued in that one and that I want to watch that are coming back from injuries. But I really I agree with Tom. I mean, we've we've talked about with the Clippers that I think when they can put it all together, they might be the biggest threat in the West. And it all does still start with Kawhi Leonard. Tom, what do you think? Yeah, I I I'm super excited to watch John Wall play again. Um, I mean, I, I he's not going to lead the team in scoring or anything. But last time we saw him, you know, he averaged 20 points a game for Houston. Um, and no one really knows what to expect, uh, from him. You know, will he start? Will, uh, he, he come off the bench and Reggie Jackson start? We'll see. But, um, yeah, John Wall, like I, I, we talk about NBA league pass teams and early in the season, I'm, I'm super curious to what this Clippers team will look like. I know what I wouldn't want to see if I'm a Clippers fan. And that is a John Wall, Reggie Jackson backcourt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to <laughs> see that because they both think they're the man, and John Wall has been the man. <laughs> so yeah, you, you know, if, if Paul George, whether Paul George at the three or the two, um, he's going to be a huge factor there. So you're right. I don't know. I mean, Wall, Reggie, which one comes off the bench? Uh, I would probably start with Reggie playing the start as a starter, and then see how it goes. But I'm thinking that John Wall at some point in the season will be their starting guard, the starting point guard. Monty, what about kind of picking between where the Memphis Grizzlies and the Phoenix Suns are? Because we, we know that the, the, the Suns, they have Chris Paul as far as that kind of wisdom, trying to get over the hump right there. He's trying to get that first championship. And then there's the young and hungry Grizzlies that have started that rivalry with the Warriors. I, I think that we can probably call both those two teams rivals, quote unquote, with the Warriors. I'd probably say that the Grizzlies at this point are probably even bigger heated rivals than the Suns. Do you think that the Grizzlies have taken a step ahead of the Suns as far as in those kind of power rankings right now? I think it's conceivable. I don't know if I can go that far because the reason why it's conceivable is that we saw how Phoenix broke down in the conference semifinals. And that can sometimes have a, like a, a lingering psychological effect. You know, they fell at home to the Mavericks. <laughs> and it's like, they won more games than anybody in the league last year. And they lost to the Mavericks. <laughs> and the Mavericks were good, but they were not top of the line good. And so I don't know if it was what the Mavericks did. We saw the Mavericks play some hellacious defense in that series. I don't know if the Phoenix just says, okay, that was a blip, you know, but I do know this, the Suns will be smarter next year than they were last year. 
Chris Paul played too many games and too many minutes. And it told on him at some point. They're lucky he didn't have a hamstring injury go down in March or April. But when you have a guy with his miles and you're playing him 30, mid 30, sometimes 40, you're not giving him back-to-back. -back, I mean, both sides of back-to-back he's playing. It's asking a lot of a guy that, that age. You know, at one point last season, he hadn't missed a game. I'm like, he's Chris Paul. Give this guy a break every now and then. I bet they do it next season. And we also want to see what, uh, how DeAndre Ayton responds to his the drama with him last season, because that's going to be a huge key, a huge factor for that team. So, uh, but Memphis or Phoenix, if I'm the Warriors, I'd rather play Phoenix. Speaking of drama, the news that that is back is that Kevin Durant has got rid of that trade demand to the Brooklyn Nets, as we talked about. And Tom, looking at your article, though, looking at that rankings for teams that can challenge the Warriors, you have the Nets as the number three team in the Eastern Conference. Let me know why. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, two words. Kevin Durant is why they're, they're ranked as number three. I mean, you know, he he had this Nets team, I mean, by himself, a couple – or a last postseason run, you know, he, he was one shoe size away from sending the Bucks home in that uh, semifinal series. Um, so – you know, the reason I have two teams ahead of them and that those two teams being the Boston Celtics and, and Milwaukee Bucks is just the unknown surrounding uh, Kyrie Irving and, and uh, Ben Simmons. You know, like they have all the talent in the world, of course. And it's the same storylines that that we've been talking about for, for years about these guys. Uh, but, you know, those three guys need to prove that they have what it takes to to take the Nets uh, to in, into a deep postseason run. I mean, I think Milwaukee's going to be the best team. I think they win. I think they reached the finals last year if, if Chris Middleton is healthy. Um, I think they win that series. Uh, and Giannis is just such a factor, man. When Giannis is on this game, they're really, you're kind of helpless. <laughs> you know, there ain't a whole lot you can do um, except try and keep the ball away from him. And that's even hard to do. So, um, but I would go Milwaukee and then Boston. And I think Philly's going to be interesting next, next season, see where they go. Um, Brooklyn is going to be in the mix because they're all happy and singing along now Kumbaya, uh, or so it seems, <laughs> <laughs> for the moment. <laughs> um, but the East, the West is deeper, but the East is not a cakewalk. I mean, Miami's always going to be a tough team. And, you know, so you look at Boston, Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, uh, I think the Bulls could be better next year. Um, the Hawks should be better next year with a new backcourt, with DeJounte Murray joining up uh, alongside. So you've got some really good teams, but I still think Milwaukee is just, what, what, are, they, what are they lacking? And I, I can't come up with a real good answer as to what they don't have. The only reason I think I still would have the Celtics ahead of the Bucks is I, I really, really like the Malcolm Brogdon move that they made. It felt, yeah. like, watching, it felt like watching those NBA finals, that, that the missing piece where you're kind of asking – what is missing from the Bucs? I felt like what was missing from the Celtics was that guy that can calm everything down, be a really good distributor, that kind of more pure point guard. And Brogdon can do multiple things, but I think he's someone that, again, slows it down for you, where they had kind of had to turn to Jason Tatum to try to be a point guard when he's more of a scorer, and that brought more turnovers. And Marcus Smart isn't that, that guy. Jalen Brown isn't that exact guy. Malcolm Brogdon just seems like someone that fits the pieces very well to me in Boston. Also, he's one of those guys. He's 6'4", 
but his wingspan is like 6'11". <laughs> I mean, he can guard three positions. And so uh, I think that should help Marcus Smart be a better player overall. So yeah, Boston is going to be good. They're going to be really good. And, and if, I mean, if Robert Williams' knee survived the NBA finals, because I felt bad for that guy, they're limping around and blocking shots anyway, but they are going to be good because they have top end talent. Their bench, I'm not a big fan of. <laughs> so whereas Milwaukee's bench, I can see some things over there that say, this guy can hurt you, that guy can hurt you. I don't feel that way about, about the, uh, the Celtics. Yeah, well, we're talking a lot of hypotheticals. The one thing that we do know is that every team is coming for the Warriors. There's no doubt about that. They are still number one. Everyone is two, three, four, five behind them. And I'm Dalton Johnson. That's Monty Poole. He is Tom Deerberger. And this was Dub's Talk presented by Wendy's. We'll see you next time. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.